This episode of Kicks and Bricks is brought to you by The Den Consulting Agency. The Den is a marketing agency that works directly with firms and provides them with innovative, distinct strategies that will take your projects to the next level. Drive your business and promote your products with The Den today. Consulting, that's what we want, baby. You can find them online at thedenconsulting.com and by phone at 646-770-2507. Are you a sneakerhead? Yeah, boy! A baller? Ballin'. Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. Nice take by James. Oh, he stops! LeBron James puts it down in the face of James Johnson. Kevin Durant way outside. Delivers! Kevin Durant from downtown. It's a six-point game. And it goes off to Kobe. Good drive, Kobe underneath. Puts his nose on the line again. Makes the basket. He's fouled. Oh, what a play. And Kobe, after he was fouled, after the ball nestled in the net, he waved to a cameraman down in front. Says, take my picture, baby. Sixers running the break. Iverson accelerating to the jam. It's Kicks and Bricks, where we got game on the streets, and on the court. Money's gotta be the shoes. Shoes, shoes, shoes. shoes. You sure it's not the shoes? I'm sure, Mars. Money's gotta be the shoes. And here's your host, Jamel Cutler. What up, what up? Welcome to a new edition of Kicks. Pulling up today is a basketball legend in the state of California. He's also a part of the hit show on Netflix called Last Chance You. Coach Mosley, how you doing, Coach? Doing well, Jay, man. Just uh, staying busy, uh, chatting with folks who've been reaching out and giving us support and, you know, kind of sharing with us uh, just, you know, what we've done and, and for us just giving them support um for these young men and a lot of people just reaching out supporting us and you know just sharing the impact that the show has had on their lives man and I'm I'm kind of shocked and surprised I didn't think that it would have this much I thought a few friends would call me and say hey I saw you on TV but I'm hearing from all over the world so it's been amazing man like how would you describe your coaching life or your personal life like prior to last chance you you know what? Pretty private, man. Um, you know, I just kind of were just it was kind of like in-house. It was kind of like a uh, a locker room atmosphere, man. All of the grimy and just getting after it. And and then all of a sudden, here we go. We on last chance shoe and the whole world gets to get a chance to see, you know, kind of how I operate. And none of, nothing I have done is for show or, you know, it's all through trying to be authentic. I thought when uh, it came out, I was going to be worried about the cameras or you know, all that stuff, but really it, it was like, Hey, let's just be authentic. Let's make sure we come out here and, and uh, just do what we do. And I think that resonated with everybody. And, and that, I think that's where the response came from the sincerity of really trying to help these young men and um, just being authentic with our approach. It, it kind of, kind of helped, I, I believe. You know, before you got into coaching, like you was a point guard as a player, like in, in your opinion, did being a point guard give you an advantage when it came to like transitioning to a coach from a player? Oh yeah, man. Hey, so, so I'm from LA, man. I'm, I'm magic Johnson all day, you know? So 
Uh, and then I caught the tail end of the Jordan era, but I grew up in the 80s where me and my dad were sitting on the couch watching the Lakers. So um, Magic Johnson was my guy. And what Magic brought was this energy of let's go, let's win, let's play together. You know, the, the fast break era where sharing the ball, you know, so I was a big assist guy. It was all about getting other guys the ball. That's when assist was a little bit more popular, you know, in the 80s. We're getting those assists. And so uh, that transition, I believe, to uh, me being a point guard and learning how to really control the game from a point guard perspective. You know, my son had a game last night and I had a conversation with him uh, just talking about the point guard position and just how you can control the game. And it doesn't mean scoring. You can control it offensively, defensively. You can control the pace of the game. And so I fell in love with the game because when I truly learned how to play for my mentor, I truly learned how to play. I saw that I could control the game. And it wasn't, you know, like when I was in middle school and high school, it, it was like everybody's looking at the, the newspaper and trying to see how many they scored. But it's, it's, it's you controlling the game through just how you see the game and seeing it through the eyes of the coach and, that's when I really fell in love, man, towards the tail end of my college career. And I'm like, I really figured out how to control the game, and it's not about scoring. And so that that was uh, exciting to me. And that that comes from a point guard position. And we find ourselves with a lot of point guards that, that are coaches. A lot of lead guards are coaches, you know. Uh, and I wasn't a, a scorer, phenomenal. I wasn't like this great, phenomenal player. I was good enough everywhere I went. I was relevant everywhere I went. Uh, but having the ability to have the impact on the game without scoring, without being the leading scorer, um, that kind of helped me transition into coaching where I can see how can I impact the game without scoring and without focusing it on my numbers. And then that goes into coaching, uh, really teaching guys the details of the game. You know, how hard you run the lane determines how many points we score. Even if you don't score, but if we all run the lane hard, if we run rim run, if we do those little details, uh, then that will give us an opportunity to, you know, to, to play faster. Uh, how, how hard we rebound, uh, the more rebounds we get, that gives us extra possessions. I mean, just little details like that help me, uh, you know, as a point guard perspective, start to love the game. You know, Eric Snow, he, um, he kind of echoed some of those same sentiments that you, that you just said in terms of um, being a point guard as it relates to coaching. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yep. And he was in the same, uh -huh. Eric Snow was in the same kind of deal. Eric Snow was good, but he wasn't the, the all-star. So he had, he had a role where he had an opportunity. Yeah. He was an NBA player. That's, you know, that in itself is, is, is one in a million, but he had a role where he had to, you know, figure out how to win without being the main scorer. And then that, that helps you translate, man, as a coach, man. You, you start to see the game holistically. How can I get somebody the ball? How can I feel the game to understand what needs to happen at what particular time? And can I do it? When I got my leading score over there that we counting on, he wants the ball all the time. He wants it all the time. And he feels like he should have it. And if he doesn't get it, then he may have this, a, a different response that doesn't help us. Well, I have to help him manage that response and say, I got you or get it to him the right time. Maybe we need to power you know, on some guys and really go inside and bang. Maybe let me feed my leading score a little bit, but get it back and try to help him to feel that, look, man, we got to go inside, but I got you though. So there's, uh, there's value in that. And, and me uh, following the Magic Johnson, you know, deal, 
uh, that was something I, I created this environment as a point guard. I wanted to be magic so bad. So I was trying to smile. I was pretending like I was magic, man. I wasn't under 5'11", but I was doing his Magic Johnson moves. And <laughs> little did I know he did that because he was 6'9", where he would split the defense and bring the ball above his head. That's because he's 6'9". So I would do it at 5'11", and it didn't work as well because I'm 5'11", and hands are up in the air. But he would go through and split with the ball up because he's 6'9", through little guards. And uh, so it was interesting. I was all magic, bringing a positive energy. I was saying, let's go before the let's go era came out. Now it's a let's go era. A kid makes a bucket, he say, let's go. I was saying, let's go in the 80s, mm-hmm. like magic. You know, I was trying to bring smiles. I was trying to talk like magic. So I was trying to bring that energy to the game uh, from a point guard perspective. And so that's the same way I'm similar way I am now I'm like um you know a lot of times they see me getting on the guys but man it's just like man I'm, I'm like let's go man urgency let's win let's score let's play boom boom I like to play the game that way so uh yeah you know um when did you discover your passion for coaching was it like at the tail end of your playing career or was it like kind of like years after yeah, it was after I didn't think I wanted to be a coach. I thought I was going to go into something else, try to make money. I was going to try to be an actor or something, you know, crazy. Uh, I played, and I, when I came back from overseas, my college coach, I had one class to finish. He said, John, you got one class to finish. Why don't you come and just sit on a bench, and I'll pay for it, and that'll be my way of paying you for helping out. So I go help out. I started to realize I was a decent recruiter. I started recruiting young men and bringing them in, and, and then he ends up hiring me as a coach. And I kind of found when I started to see it from the other side. So as I share with you, my tail end of playing, I understood and I started to love the game of basketball because I understood it. I really started to, from a, from a player perspective, how can I have the impact without just being one dimensional? And then when I saw it from the coaching side, the impact that you can have on the game. So the college coach that I had, I'm sitting here looking and he was my mentor, and he passed away in January 20. Um, but he's my mentor, and I'm looking. I saw all the things that he – how he shaped me, right? So I'm thinking it's just me, but I'm looking. He takes those things, and he shapes all young men. And then it translates to the game of basketball. And now I started to see from a coaching perspective, as I'm, I go in the office after practice, and we talk about what happened, now I'm starting to see, like, man – like, okay, now I understand why. And that's kind of fun to be in that position to be able to shape and mold young men's lives and to kind of control uh, the outcomes of games. And so I love controlling the outcome. I love competition. And I started to do that as, as, as after I finished the class, I just continued to coach. And I love the locker room environment. So I was like, well, I'm gonna just hang, hang around here. And then I love the competition. Um, and then I, I had the, the opportunity to continue to serve. And I really learned how to serve Christ um, with my mentor. He showed me that he can minister uh, to young men as we're playing. We can be a ministry as a team. And then also, you know, how you can impact young men's lives. And, and that was something that, uh, that resonated with me. And I just was doing it kind of like to make money. And then all of a sudden I fell in love with it. And I became passionate about it. Um, how did Last Chance You come about? Like, how did Netflix kind of present that? Um, yeah, how did they a, like this project to you? Man, it was a cold call. So I get this, I get this cold call, man, and 
And I'm thinking like, yeah, I kind of heard of it. And I watched some of the episodes. And initially I was like, man, I'm not doing that. I, I don't, I was like, I don't think I can be uh, that entertaining as those guys. You know, those they had a different coaching style. And I thought that's how I needed to be. Um, and then my athletic director, I mentioned it to him. And he said, oh, you got to do it. Now, he's a football coach. So the previous shows were football. And when I decided to do it, he said, oh, man, I would have never done it. And I'm like, so he kind of tricked me there. <laughs> but when I really decided, um, after they kind of cold called me and explained, hey, you're somebody we'd love to to do this with. And so it was just out of the blue. It wasn't like I reached out or like it was a, a pattern. They just kind of were, you know, scouting around and reached out. But I talked with a friend of mine. I was in Dallas. We were at a showcase where we took our players to be showcased and we're sitting and watching a friend of mine, junior college coach, Quincy Brewer. He says, and he coaches at San Bernardino, good friend of mine. We competed against each other every year. He, I said, Hey, I think I got this opportunity. He said, man, I think you should do it because People need to see how you you impact in young men's life your way. You know, um, you have a unique unique way of how you do it. And so there, he kind of got the 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 wheel spinning. I said, okay, here's my last phone call. I call my pastor, man, because I'm thinking like, okay, there's no way he's gonna tell me I should do it. You know, I should be serving in the church. You know, you don't want to be on display. We don't want to go Hollywood, John. Like, you know, just let's just serve and come into church. Well, I called my pastor to my surprise. He was like, oh, no, you have to do it. And I'm thinking like, well, what if I do something and, and, and I get fired because of something I say or whatever? He says, well, the way you live your life, that's not going to happen. He said, God predestined you and you have a message and it's something that you need to share in terms of how you live your life out and how you minister and how you impact those young people's lives in terms of getting them, coaching them up, winning games and then moving them on to transfer. And right there, that's when I decided, you know what, if he's telling me, I don't know why I shouldn't do it. And, um, you know, there were times that I doubted, why am I doing this or whatever? And, you know, it worked out because it's had an impact. Um, and I think the message got across and I think a lot of people have been inspired. And that's what I've been most surprised about is those who've been inspired, man. And the Netflix and, and, and Last Chance U team, man, they did a phenomenal job um, with putting it together, man. It's just, I can't even say... They made us look good. They made me look good, man. I, the, the soundtrack was fire too. Everything was 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 great about it, man. And they they kept in the right amount of stuff and they took out the right amount of stuff. Sometimes I was over the top, you know, with my my ministry and sharing my faith. And they they just trimmed it just perfectly so that it it it. I mean, I can't. I'm I'm just blown away at the talent how talented they are in terms of editing and pro producing and putting it together and. They captured my emotion through uh, the show. They captured my emotion through the soundtrack. It was it was crazy, man. It was I'm blown away. So, uh, but it was a, it was just initially a cold call. You know, um, I put one of your sayings on my phone. So, like every day when I wake up, that's the first thing I see. And the one I put was, um, oh, what was it? Excuses are are monuments where. Oh, damn, what was Excuses it? are tools yeah, yeah, in yeah. which incompetent individuals build monuments <laughs> of nothing. So, yeah, yeah I, I was <laughs> probably like five years old and my uncle, uh, we were in the backyard and my uncle, he was, we were playing one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. And, you know, everybody's, he came in town. He was coming from, I think, Chicago. We were in LA. 
and we were in the backyard playing and everybody's like, John is going to be a good ball player. And he said, all right, let me see. Let me go in the backyard and see. So we started playing and he didn't have any mercy on me. You know, when you're like five or six, everybody's kind of like, they, they let you win, right? They say, oh, look, he's a good little player. They let you blow by him. Well, he didn't let me blow by him. And I was just mad. I was pissed off and he was beating me, beating me bad. And that kind of gave me some edge. He said, and I, I made planning about something. He said, ah, oh, yeah, excuses, excuses. Excuses, rules, and which incompetent individuals build monuments and nothing. I think I might have been older to remember that. It might have been old or something like that. But that stuff, and I was trying to say, what? What did you say? And then all week long, he would not tell me what he said. But he would say it and say it real fast, and he forced me to remember that because of the way he said it. So that's something that stuck with me, man, throughout my life. I've always, whenever somebody says an excuse, I come right at him. Exactly the same same thing every time. You know, last chance you kind of introduced me to JUCO culture because prior to it, like I had no idea it was that um cutthroat. But like what kind of separates like your program from other programs in um California? You know what, uh Jay, it's, it's no different, man. The same thing is happening in every program. You know, we may have a little bit more talent than some. Uh some coaches I'm not telling every coach to tolerate what I tolerate that, that, that's not, that may not be their style. You know, some coaches uh, won't tolerate it and, and that's, that's their prerogative and that's how they have success. And they still do a good job of moving young men on. But I would say it's almost the same here because most of the men they're at the community college level. We, we don't have any scholarships. We don't have housing. We don't have all of that. So most of the men here, they're coming with baggage and all they're doing is walking through the door with with the backpack on. They're not walking through the door with a scholarship or anything. So they're looking for that second chance, or maybe they and they're not all they're, they're not, not always damaged goods. It's some of them come because maybe athletically they didn't you know reach the potential and they need to get better. Some maybe academically, uh, some because they got in trouble, and some like Deshaun, he goes to UTEP and his mom. Uh, gets stage four cancer and he has to come back home. So there's a myriad of reasons and every community college in, in California is dealing with the same thing. And uh, it's, it's almost a mirror image. You know, maybe I'm a little more, uh, you know, intense or less intense than some there, but I'm, I'm pretty sure if you go to the junior college next door, you'll find the same thing. Maybe the personalities are a little more or less heightened, but it's the same dynamics is it's the kids looking for opportunities because they didn't get to the four year level um, coming to play ball and trying to make something of it. And some of them are dealing with a lot of emotional baggage and they don't respond to adversity the right way. And it's up to us to kind of mold them and teach them. So I was just fortunate enough to be the one that, that gets to share the message and have the platform to share what it's like. But I, I, I you know, I'd reckon to say, it's, it's pretty much the same across the board. And not only here, but in junior college across the country. Um, the national junior colleges outside of California, they have scholarships. So that dynamic is a little bit different. But in terms of what the baggage uh, that, that comes with that, and I, I don't say baggage in a negative way all the time, but just all of the circumstances are, are similar. Um, California, we get a little bit more because we have a little less to offer in terms of scholarships. So we can get anybody to walk through the door that has talent 
And we, we almost have to take them because it's like, hey, if we want to be really, really good, we got we to gotta accept uh, some of that baggage. You know, like I feel that the smaller team environment of basketball kind of like made the series unique and mm-hmm. kind of separated it from football. Like, do you feel that the that the smaller atmosphere gave it a more, you know, like a more intimate experience for the viewer? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because everybody had a chance to be seen and we can see almost every, you know, you got about 10 guys where you can see absolutely every uh, the, the, the culture of the team. Um, you know, my hat's off to football coaches. I don't know how you do it. And I know they have a lot of assistant coaches, but I just don't know how you coach a hundred guys, you know, or a hundred plus guys. I don't know how you do it. Those guys are phenomenal to be able to do that. I have a tough time dealing with 15 guys. And, you know, because when you have one, uh, when one guy, if, if a Joe Hampton has five issues, those issues are mine to help him get through it. And so you multiply five times 15 guys and now that's what you, now that's what you're dealing with. You know, you got all those issues that you got to try to get through. So um, my hat's off to them, but, but yeah, it, it was a more intimate setting. And there's another thing about basketball is, you know, you can see the emotions, every single play that happens, whether it's success or failure. Um, I think with football, which is also uh, phenomenal to watch, uh, you know, you got a play that happens, you can hear the emotion and you can see it through their body, but their faces really tell the story. And I think there's a lot of stories that are told in basketball by just the faces. And so I think that's what, what, what captures even more uh, from the audience. Um, but it, it's different, but you can capture a lot with just a facial expression, including the coaches, you know. Uh, myself, I found myself like, man, I was really turned up there or turned down or whatever I was. I could tell I, you can see frustrations. You can see joy. You can see happiness. You can see all of it. You can see whatever is going on in the faces of, of basketball. And that's what I think is the, that's what I think what caught a lot of, of viewers. That, that was just kind of a new thing to be able to see the faces versus uh, football. You know, the adversities that you guys had during during um well well during the last last season um did those instances kind of bring the group closer together do you feel yeah so so we had uh just several things and there's things nobody saw we had a young man and he got in a car accident and lost his memory and he wasn't featured there i mean there were so many uh adversities we went through with the players Deshaun and Joe, like Deshaun was losing his mom, just all the things that we have to handle personally, on a personal note. But then within the team, you're trying to bring this team together. And we're actually on this great win streak. And sometimes you can peak, you know what I'm saying? And guys, they kind of get bothered by one another and they kind of get on each other's nerves. And I think we had a little bit of that where guys are getting on each other's nerves. And it was kind of like we were kind of, it was almost like we were kind of growing apart. And then, uh, as you see, we go on this, you know, we go on this retreat, man. And, you know, I was telling the coaches, we going on this retreat. We are going to grow together or grow apart. And it kind of, I was kind of concerned, but we needed to do something different other than come and practice every day and pound each other. We're going into the last stretch of the season where we got to do something because the basketball wasn't the issue anymore. The guys were winning all these games. We're winning games in a row. Yeah, we can get better on the court. But, you know, it's a point where guys are tired of each other. You know, junior college basketball, we're, we're, we're in there 
Um, you know, our hours, we can get a little bit more hours, you know, than the division one. So, you know, we're, we're working starting at the end of August. We're starting. That's a long season. When you talk about going all the way to March, August to March. So we go up to, to this, uh, you know, we have a retreat and I'm, you know, because you can get to a retreat and you can say, you know what? I'm tired of this guy. I was with him all week in practice. And now I really don't like him because I see he snores or this or that, you know, he's got this little personal issue I don't like. Or you could say, you could sit there and we can do some activities where he can say, you know what, man, I really like him. I see him outside of basketball, I'm spending time with him. And that's what happened, man, we kind of meshed. And so it was perfect timing for us to do that. And we kind of grew together. Um, so, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, we, 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 the adversity we went through and then all of a sudden we go on this retreat I thought it brought full circle where the guys, they really grew together versus growing apart. So that was important. So the retreat was like the breakthrough moment that ultimately brought everybody together for that last run. Is that it? Yeah, it was one of them that helped. I mean, I can't say it was solely the retreat. I mean, the guys took some responsibility on to get better on the court, but that, that, that was a good moment where guys learned about a lot about themselves and they also learned about me, you know, you know, we all learned about each other. I learned how I was. They were Im they were imitating me, man. So I'm like, you know, am I really like that? And I'm like, yeah, okay, let me. We it gave us all a chance to self-examine and kind of take a look at look at ourselves. So you go out there in the mountains where everybody's vulnerable, right? And everybody's got this hard shell over them. But when you get out there, there's no uh, there's no film. Uh, I'm you know there's no I'm sorry not film, but there's no uh, service, you know, you don't have any service. So they couldn't do anything. They had nothing but each other. They didn't have their cell phones to look, you know, what? if they had their cell phones and they had service, we might've been in trouble, you know, because that would have gave them a chance to drift away from the group. They had nothing but each other. They had nobody but each other because they didn't have a cell phone. And that's something else to realize, man, that that cell phone keeps you kind of isolated. You know, I don't care what situation you're in. You got a cell phone, you got a chance to have your own little world inside a cell phone because you got social media, you got contacts with other people, you know, you, you can, you can kind of superficial, superficially have a, a little world that's, that's probably superficial and not true on the phone. But when the phone is down, reality is I'm here with these guys and I have to listen to what he says. I have to engage with these guys because I don't have my phone to have human contact. So I have to have human contact. And so we had the discussions where we talked about who's the best rapper. I even see Drake. He he responded on social media. He was watching the show and posted Joe when Joe talked about Drake um, and his, uh, you know, and his response to Joe saying he's the best rapper of all time. And, you know, everybody was watching the show. So it forced everybody to engage and for us to have debates with one another and understand how everybody's mind worked. Cause nobody has cell service, you know, uh, for, and we were up there for 24 hours, you know, you know, I, um, I was watching that scene with one of my friends, um, little brother. And he, mm -hmm. I forgot, I forgot who he said was the greatest rapper, but I was like, um, nah, Jay-Z is it. And then he looked at me with a straight face and said, who's Jay-Z. And at wow. that moment I <laughs> felt old. You get old. You get old, I man. Old. Yeah, yeah. Don't let me go back. And <laughs> my day, I was Tribe Called Quest, and 
actually one of my favorite groups was Outkast. I just loved the 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 the, the style they brought. Just the the it was kind of funkadelic. It was just a, a lot there. But yeah, man. Yeah, you old if they asking who Jay Z is. It's like, man, he's still the, almost the Godfather right now. You know. Hey man, if if you come to um to New York, you might see Andre in some random Starbucks. So just 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 around, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah. What what a to me. Uh, although I'm from LA, man, I was I was you know I grew up in the gangster rap, and I kind of went to school with all the gangster rap. I went to Washington High School, and you know, like Ice Cube went there a couple years before me, and then he transferred to another school. You know, Dub C and Warren G. You know, all those guys. A lot of the those hardcore guys went to my high school and some other schools locally. Uh, but I was more of an East Coast listener, man. I was man, Tribe Called Quest and and then all that stuff, man. That was that was my style, man. I was I was more uh I still listen to some of the East Coast stuff, the New York, uh, you know, the commons and the just stuff like that, man. I, that's more my my flavor. Uh even even though the, the West Coast is a more gangster rap, but I'm I'm a little more East Coast. So did you know Ice Cube or any of of those guys back then? Did you know them? I, or you I didn't know them. I knew I didn't know them, but we grew up around them. We were in school together. You know, it's like once they became famous, you were like, "Wait a minute, I was in school with him," or you know, like that. You know, oh, uh, you know, it, it's just like you know, Yo Yo. I was in school with her, and then she blew up, and now you know, it, it was Yo Yo, and there were several people, man, that kind of blew up out of uh, my high school and, and some of the local city high schools here in South Central. And then once they blew up, I said, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that person, but weren't necessarily close, close friends. But we kind of remember uh, we, we, you know, we had talent shows and they were on talent shows and different things like that. So a uh, lot, lot came out of the city. Uh, but, yeah, man, I'm, I'm still an East Coast listener. You know, what was some of your favorite moments from Last Chance that didn't make it to Netflix that we didn't get to see? You, you know what, there were two moments. I've shared uh, this one several times. Hopefully I don't tear up, but we're in vans. We're, we're, we're down in San Diego and we played two top uh, teams that were ranked. So this, this, this had implications where we had to win these games so that we can build our status. It was right off after Christmas. So right after Christmas, I think people were still on vacation. So there was a bunch of families. Now San Diego is about two hours from where we were, from LA. So this actually gives us like a like a go away trip and it, it felt it was another one of our trips that we have during the year you know we couldn't afford much but we're staying in a hotel we got an overnight trip it feels good we got to win these games in this tournament so we win the tournament we're in the locker room we're high-fiving this feels good all oh, this is great we want we beat two ranked teams this is going to help our standings this is going to help our rpi we get the vans, we're ready to go. Vans are rolling. Coach Rob is in the front. I'm in the back van. And the vans are rolling. I'm like, where's Deshaun? All the families were down there, like a bunch of families. Deshaun's the only one. He doesn't have family, you know? And his girlfriend so happened to not be there. So I'm looking, like, where's Deshaun? He's in the back, outside of the van, walking around in circles, wiping his eyes, crying. I'm just like, oh, man, what happened now? Deshaun is tough as nails. He don't cry. He's like the biggest, man, I was uh, F you up or whatever. You know, he's the biggest dude that he's like, we call him, I call him a jerk or Rob calls him the most likable a-hole. You know, he's the most likable guy, but he can be a jerk at times. And so he doesn't cry, but he's back there crying. And I said, oh gosh, 
who passed, you know, he lost his mom, he lost his dad. What's going on? So I get out, man, and I'm looking at Deshaun like, Deshaun, what's up, what's up? And he's just bawling, he's crying. And then on top of that, we were all sick too, man. So 2009, December, we know what that was, right? We were all sick. And this was before the pandemic had super hit. So he's sick and he's crying. And then I go to him and then he just falls over on me, man, like just in a weak moment. And he's crying in my shoulder. And I'm like, Deshaun, what's up? What's going on? And he lifts his head up and he says, coach, I, I just want to talk to her, coach. I just want to talk to her. And I'm just like, ah, you know, that was an intimate moment. They didn't catch it, but um, they respected the privacy, I believe. And he says that, and I'm just like, wow. Uh, I had to redirect my focus. We were so pumped about the winning. I don't remember I'm, I'm leading these guys. But I told him, I said, Deshaun, you're mine forever, man. You can ask any questions you need with me. He said, I just want to talk to my mind. I want to answer. I need some questions I want to ask her. I said, man, you mind forever, man. And that was a moment. Another moment was Joe. He got into an altercation. He was about to fight. And this is when Joe had turned the corner. And he started to figure it out. He had started to control his emotions uh, in the game, officiating and everything else. And then, you know, somebody had, you know, they hit him or something unnecessarily. And you saw in the film, he was about to react. And we all kind of got him. It was like, Joe, no, man. You turn in the corner. No, don't let anybody bring you down. You know, they have more to lose than to gain. And they were wanting to fight Joe. And I'm like, Joe, do you see what's going on, bro? They see that we rocking and rolling. And they trying to fight us. Do you see what's going on? You Joe Hampton, man. You don't let nobody take you out and cause you to get a suspension or anything. So we took him to the bench. And he sat down. And then that's the, the scene where the security guards or actually the sheriffs was behind him and, and like security. And I was like, man, you sure you don't want to go get dressed, man? Security ready to come get you. And so I say, Joe, man, we as a group, as a team, nobody saw it. The cameras didn't catch this. We say, man, you Joe Hampton, let's go. And everybody on the team was like, you Joe Hampton, man. You don't let nobody do that to you. We got your back. I sold Joe. We was calling him Joe Big tick, you know, we were going off and blowing him up, and they didn't really get that that part of it, you know. Uh, they didn't really capture that moment or put that in or felt that was a need to put in. So that was something that was special as well, where it kind of showed how we were kind of culminating and moving to the next phase as a team and growing together, you know. You know, did um did Joe and um Deshaun's story kind of like hit you the hardest? You know what, man, I, I engaged in those guys, but there's 15 guys, Jay, man, that had similar stories. It, it, it's just they only captured maybe four guys. You know, you got Joe, uh, just Deshaun, KJ. Um, I, you know, it just so happens that Joe had a lot of stuff going on. But they captured only maybe four or five guys where they really lie. But there's 15 guys that had stories, man. And not only just on our team, but we're talking about in Juco basketball, all of the stories that you guys saw, which I shared, every coach in junior college basketball, they're dealing with Joe Hamptons, you know, that, that are having legal issues. And now you got to write a letter to the judge. The judge let him go. And now we got stipulations where if, if Joe can just get through, then the judge is willing to drop everything. And you know what? We got a success story. Everything's dropped. Joe's out of division one. He's playing, you know, that, that's, that's what we deal with as junior college coaches. And so I, I, I don't, I will be, I wouldn't want to say, you know, just because we didn't see the stories of some of the other players on our team, all of the guys, man, they had those stories. And I, I'm, I was down to the wire with all of them. 
you know, and I'm not telling anybody that they have to be like me, man. But, but if you called, if you say, this is what you want to do as a junior college coach, then this is what you're going to deal with. And you have to tolerate and realize that if you want to impact these young men's life, you have to gain a relationship and get deeply invested in what's going on so that you don't initially write them off just because they, they have a poor response or, or they got this baggage going on. You don't write them off, man. You got to, you got to engage with them, you know, fully engage with them and understand what's going on. Um, but no, all 15 guys had the same story. It wasn't like the same, they didn't have the same baggage, but all of them had baggage. And I had the same engagement with, with all of them. It's just, you know, it's just, we, we saw this Joe and Sean's story stood out in, in, in this last chance you. You know, the coaching staff was equally as important. And I think they had like, a certain amount of respect from the players. Like yeah. you talk about the importance that they served to you guys during last chance you. Absolutely. And I, I'm grateful for you for bringing that up because, you know, it's just like I'm here in, at home in the marriage, you know, we can't me and my wife, we do a good job with our children. I, they do. My kids are doing great because it's a team effort. And the same thing with the coaching staff, I think, you know, uh, that loyalty support. And none of those coaches ever tried to overstep me, man. They understood the vision. And I think as uh, 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 for any good coach to have success, it, it, it takes a support staff, man. And you have to have like-minded coaching uh, that echo what you, your message is. And Coach Rob and Coach Hunter, and they got swag, man. Coach Rob is sure of himself. Like he's so sure, man. Coach Rob is the smoothest. He, Coach Hunter is sure of himself. Those guys are confident in their own right. They don't feel like they have to overstep me. And they understand the message. So when I'm getting ready, so I'm not saying I'm perfect, Jay, man. When I Sometimes I'm like, man, you know what? This dude got to get out. I can't take it no more. Coach Rob be like, look, Coach, let me tell you something, Coach Mosey. We going to need Joe in the playoffs. Let me talk to Joe. I'll deal with it. Coach Hunter, hey, Coach, I got him this time. I'm like, all right, man, because I'm, I'm getting ready to – I just can't take it no more. So it takes a collective group. Uh, of coaches that, that are like-minded, man. And you can't do it. I don't care what any coach thinks. Um, and I think the success is going to only happen if I stay humble and realize that I need every, every inch of the coaching staff to help me do whatever I need to do. Like everybody's celebrating Coach Mosley. You do a great job. You're such a great mentor. Man, That that's the uh, the whole collective staff that mm -hmm. allows me to do that. And if I if I – if, if, if they weren't there with me, what you saw on display in terms of how we helped the young men and how we won games, it wouldn't have happened if we didn't have Coach Rob. And then not only that, you know, giving a little love to people you didn't see. There's so many people you didn't see that were a part, our counselors. You know, I got two managers. They didn't get much camera time, Bianca Lopez and and uh, and Eric Guzman, man, our little managers, man, they, they had a lot of impact. So there was a lot of people, man, our athletic trainers and faculty that had impact as well so I can't do it I'm getting a lot of credit but you know just like I would take a lot of the heat if we sucked and I was you know and everything and everything else so they get a lot of credit absolutely you know as time went on you guys went on that win streak and you was eventually 29 and one at one point did having that record kind of like put more pressure on you guys to win the state championship well, not more pressure, but just a bigger bullseye where the games got harder. So the games got a lot harder and everybody was coming after us. 
They felt like if they beat us, then that would give them an opportunity to be better seated. Um, but we just had a group that loved each other, man. And I felt that kept us winning more so than Coach Mosley, you know, and my X's and O's or whatever. It was they loved each other and they came together. And I think that's an important part, uh, important chemistry and ingredient in terms of winning is the fact that they they loved each other and they genuinely like genuinely liked each other. And I, I think that's – it wasn't any pressure. I think it was just something that they wanted. I know the story was built up in the show that, you know, the, you know in terms of pressure, but it wasn't really any pressure, man. It was just a level of, of um, you know, just a level of love that they have for each other that they wanted to do it themselves, you know. And it was just up to me to keep that that template there for them to do it. It was up to me to keep that there. So that was my job is to say, okay, let me just keep a little bit of structure and let those guys go. Uh, for me, man, it, you know, people build it up. Oh, Coach Mosley needs to win a state. You know what? I'm a coach, man, for years. I'm, I'm going to have a chance to win it. You know, I want it for those guys so they can get on that platform to create more opportunities. Do you, like, ever sit back and think what if, like, what would have happened if you guys was able to play for the state title if COVID never came? No, no regrets, man. We just move forward. All I want is just for those guys to – uh, move forward in life. I think everything happens for a reason. You know, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and call according to his purpose. So I think everything that happens to me is, is, is sovereign God's plan for my life. And then anything under that happens, it's, 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 you try to reach a goal and you try to accomplish it. And it doesn't mean you're a failure because you didn't get there. It, there's a perfect design well, you know what? Hey, if we make it, maybe all those guys go to Duke University, right? And it doesn't work out for them. But now I think everything is perfectly designed on how it should be. All we can do is control what we can control. And that's our effort, you know, in, in us being able to show up in our performance. So we did what we can do to control. So uh, where we're supposed to be is where we're supposed to be. And there's no regrets, man. I'm grateful for as far as we made it. We did. We maximized on what we can do based on the given circumstances. So there's, there's no regrets and there's no really what ifs, uh, you know, yeah, you, what if for a couple of weeks or a month or two, but at this point a year later, there's no what ifs because guess what? We're in a better place or we actually where God wants us to be. You know, I was heartbroken for the plays because, because they worked so hard just to get to that point and that right. have it and to have that taken away from them, man. Like you yeah. talk about like that scene on the bus, like yeah. how did you break the news to them? Well, the biggest thing, I, well, I got a call from, from my AD as they saw on the film and then I had to share with them. The biggest thing, man, is I was really, I just felt like I let them down because they had done everything they were supposed to do. And usually I have a little bit more control and I felt like I let them down. Like I didn't get them to the platform, but ultimately I have no control over it. And that's where we saw the emotion. And at the end, uh, spoiler alert, I told them they won because they did win. They did everything they were supposed to do and they accomplished their goals. If that was the end, then their goals were accomplished. So, um, you know, I just felt like I let them down. Um, but ultimately the guys did exactly what they were supposed to do. So, uh, and they, they met all the goals that, that, you know, from this point they were supposed to. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I was a little disappointed, but, um, now I, I feel like the guys met the goals and accomplished their accomplishments. You know, the, um, the players, they left your program in a better mental, um, in a better mental space, a better physical space, and they were better academically. 
than they were when they first came to you. And like, and that can't be for nothing, man. Yeah, that has to count so for something. That that's the goal is to reach as many men to help them move on. When I see people suffering and not getting it and having poor responses, I see the diamonds in them. And that's the, the deal is to get away to that diamond, man, to where we can find the true potential in them and just chip away. And, and we, we can't stereotype because they walk in with a hoodie and with their head down. We got to say, okay, what's the reason for them walking with their head down? What's the reason why it doesn't make sense for a kid to respond a poor way on the basketball court? Because that's what they want to do is play basketball. So we got to find out why they're not responding the right way. We chip away at that and we help them respond the right way so that in the future, when they get to the next level, they, they capitalize on all of their opportunities. They don't respond the right way. So that's the goal, man. And if I can do that, it's not about winning games all the time. It's about seeing them in a better space. I get more satisfaction about watching my guys on television than I do, uh, you know, just the winning games, because that's going to have the lasting impact as those guys moving on and getting their college degrees and maybe playing professional basketball. You know, throughout the show, like you expressed and preached about responding to like adversity and all the things that life throw at you. Like, how did you respond to all the adversity and damage that COVID left? Well, we're still in it. I mean, it's frustrating. We still haven't gotten an opportunity to meet with our guys. LA is a little bit different since we in LA County, but uh, you know, the, it's, it's trying to keep show these guys that they're still light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and so that's essentially what I've been doing. We're still trying to motivate and do it. I've, I'm uncharted territory, man. I'm sitting here on zoom trying to motivate and do these things. And so it's been frustrating, but uh, we got to keep it pushing just like everybody else. Um, the one thing is, is that everybody's in the same position. So we just got to learn how to manage it. You know, last week I spoke to um, Skip to my Lou Ray for Austin. He was another uh-huh. JUCO guy. I think he played out in California back in the day. Yeah. And um, yeah. and he spoke about, like, the bond that he developed with his teammates at the JUCO level. And to this day that um, he's still friends with those guys. Like, um, Yeah, absolutely. And I got my, my phone call coming in here on my next uh, – uh, on my next interview, but, but yeah, um, skip to my Lou, man. He just, just forever, just, he, he embodied what some of the Juco uh, successes can be, man. And and that's what a lot of guys aspire as they come and they play, they build a career out of going to the Juco uh, level. And that's what all of these guys, I try to have them dream that way. How skip to my Lou Ray for Austin did like you go and you come to the junior college, I think it was Fresno City that he went to out here in California. And then you move on to a university, a mid-major, and then you get a chance and an opportunity to get to uh, the next level uh, and then play NBA. And that's what it's all about. And I think our guys are, uh, uh, if we can keep them on that path and keep them dreaming that way, that's the goal, man. I'm, I'm trying to make dreamers out of them and, and not uh, see what's the baggage that's behind, but dream forward. Did the exposure of Last Chance help you recruiting-wise? How's that going? Yeah, it's helped me recruit. And, you know, ultimately it, it's bringing a lot of guys. But, you know what, we already had a decent reputation and guys were coming. So um, it just actually puts more uh, recruitment on me. A lot more guys want to come. So we, uh, yeah, we're just, you know, we're grateful for all the outpouring and all the support. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's over the top right now. So, yeah. <laughs> 
will there be like a season two featuring your program or is kind of like a one and done sort of deal? Yeah, not sure, man. Not sure. Uh, they don't tell me anything to the last minute. So we'll, we'll just have to wait and see all that. You just got to reach out to Netflix, mm -hmm. talk, talk to Abby and, let, and see if that's the case. So, All right. And my last um, point is like, what is the main thing that you learned about yourself during this whole filming process? I think that I got to continue to do what I'm doing. And, you know, I, I could probably get weary. I say, don't get weary and you're well doing as scripture says. And I saw that I did impact others and impact the lives of these young men. And I just got to continue to ask God and, you know, for that strength to continue to do it daily. Uh, so that's something that uh, I got to remember where my focus is. And then I see the young men and how they're impacted. Cause a lot of times I, I get the young men out and they go and I don't get a chance to see um, how they truly are impacted. I just say, okay, next man up, let me help the next guy. Okay, next. And I just ship them out and they go, but to really see what Deshaun and to see them off camera, you know, talk about me and talk about the impact that they had because of the program, it, it encourages me. Uh, to continue to do the, the work that we do here, me and my coaching staff. You know, I want to thank you for joining us today. Like you embody everything that is good about college sports. And if everyone grew up, I mean, if if everyone had um, a coach like you, the world would be a much better place. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for having me, man. And uh, anytime, man, just hit me up. I'll, I'll be willing to jump back on. Okay, Jeff.